capital. If you mislaunch it, it might backfire to your numbers. And for a company that is on a seed level and has 12 months of, of runaway in the bank, you cannot afford such huge mistakes. Agloj Mutakitis, you're a fractional head of growth for B2B SaaS companies, an experienced consultant and a mentor with dozens of client success stories to your name. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining. Thank you for having me here and thank you for managing to pronounce my surname. <laughs> yeah, do my best. Cool. Your background is in both product and in marketing. You've worked as a CPO and also led marketing or growth. Currently, your focus is on helping companies with product-led growth and churn reduction pricing. There's also primary research that you do using the jobs to be done framework. So that's a lot to cover. Maybe we can start with a bit of a broader topic. So when people hear growth, they often think of iterating on Facebook ad campaigns or setting up cold email campaigns. What does head of growth mean for you? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you for asking, because that's also a, a triggering topic for me, because we tend to misuse the term growth a lot. It feels like people perceive the word growth as another way to say marketing these days. And it's very, very wrong. I cannot avoid just having a very strong opinion here. It's like very wrong. Growth is very different than marketing. Marketing generally focuses on top of the funnel metrics, on bringing the right people in, while growth focuses on the whole funnel, on bringing the people in, converting these people and uh, retaining these people. So I would say that uh, what is ahead of growth? It kind of depends, I would say, on what your business looks like. But generally speaking, is the person that sits between your marketing tactics and your product and make sure that these two are aligned. Make sure that your growth rate increases, which is the result of uh, the right people finding the right product. So it's somewhere in the middle, I would say. Gotcha. So it sounds like there's a lot of overlap between the marketing side of the business and also the product and the execution and delivery side of the business. Definitely there is, but you shouldn't expect, for example, a head of growth to be also a PPC expert or to be able to run the best Facebook ads because these are separate expertise specialties which typically head of growth people do not have unless they are former marketers that they have switched to a more growth-related role. Just like in product roles where you might have a more growth product person or a more technical product person or a more product owner person, your career matters in what sort of head of growth you are. You can be a very marketing sophisticated head of growth, or you might be a more product sophisticated head of growth. And depending on what each business needs, depending on what is the priority, the part of the funnel that matters most for them, they can pick the right head of growth with the right skill set. Gotcha. And so you focus around some customer research with Jobs to be Done framework, like I mentioned. And then you also talked about the three key things you think about, about bringing people in, converting them and retaining them. Maybe you can speak for a minute about your background. So which background of those that you mentioned do you come from and got you to where you are today? My background is marketing related, but at the moment I would say that 
I come from the second category of head of growth, the ones that are more product focused. The reason for that is I have left my marketing background kind of back in the past and um, I haven't kept pace on that. So I wouldn't say that I can compete with someone that is a marketer now. And my last five years are definitely focused on products. So my experience in marketing goes back to, I don't know, 2015, I would say. But another thing is that when I became a senior marketer, I tended to have teams and people that were more vertically focused into running ads or writing content. Therefore, I am the person that can manage these teams that know exactly what they're doing and how this will work. But I would say I'm not the right person, for example, to manage the thousands or the hundreds keywords that you have in your ad account or in your AdWords account or experiment with different copies and graphics in your Facebook business manager. I'm more of the second type of person, the one that focuses on building the right product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd love to dive into that a little more. So uh, you mentioned product-led growth, and I think over the past couple of years, the topic has been around for a long time, but it's become really refined or a lot more well understood in the last couple of years. So maybe you can help the audience, if they don't know what it is, understand PLG and product-led growth. Product-led growth is- is another misunderstood term these days. I should say about product-led growth that uh, I happen to be one of the very first people that jumped into that wave, that fell in love with it, like I think like three years ago. And I also am one of the few people that expresses sort of anger, I would say, about it because of the ways that we tend to use it nowadays and of the character of a silver bullet that it has nowadays. So what is product-led growth? The term started as a go-to-market strategy that prioritizes product. Now product-led growth basically means everything. <laughs> I don't even know what product-led growth actually is at the moment. So I will, I will give you my own explanation for that. Sure. Product-led growth is when you let your product do the job that people were doing before and that helps you grow in a more scalable manner so that's not just a free trial or a freemium model it expands way more than that for example a company that has a software with a kind of big learning curve can automate some processes and can bundle them with human assistance. And that's still product-led growth. Mm-hmm. It's not just launching a free trial or having a smaller version of your product as a free version. It's something more than that. It has expanded way more than that. And it's not for everybody. So it's not a silver bullet. There are lots of commands that are not ready to do that at the moment. Uh, that's an interesting topic to dive into. It's not for everybody, but let's come back to that. So you you just gave a couple of examples of things that might fit into this category of product-led growth. So a free trial, or you mentioned using human-in-the-loop support for onboarding, for example. It sounds a little bit like that. those might fit into those three categories you mentioned before, of bringing people in, converting them, and retaining them. Is that how you think about it? 
having the product help with those three different business goals? Yes, yes, definitely. It doesn't go as deep as to retain people. Uh, I would say I would say that product-led growth sits on the mid funnel and top of the top of the product funnel. More on that part. When it comes to retention, uh, we don't call it product-led growth anymore. If it happens automatically, it's just your product. But generally speaking, it connects mentally with retention because retention is strongly connected with onboarding. For example, one of the first things that we look when we have a low retention or a high churn is what happens in the onboarding part. What is the quality of the people that we are bringing in? How do they react on the onboarding stage? And if their expectations align with the value that we're giving through our product. So every part of the funnel is very close here, but I would say that product-led growth sits more on the mid and top of the product funnel. Gotcha. So I think that's an interesting point though, that your retention being well correlated with the conversion for new customers and are what customers expecting to get matched by what they actually get when they open the product up or when they use the product. That's, that's a good point. You, you said before, it's not a silver bullet and it's not for everybody. Tell me about some of the times where you haven't been able to help out or where customers have got the, are not in a place that product-led growth can help them. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of times, to be honest, there are products that just have a steep learning curve. They just have it. So trying to force a shorter learning curve and trying to force a quicker onboarding and trying to come up with an aha moment just isn't productive. It's counterproductive. Mm. Another thing that I have noticed, and this is the most frequent problem that I noticed, when we invest into building and launching a product-led motion, that means that we are seeking for some sort of scalability. Mm. We need to be able to, to have the same answer when it comes to the top of the funnel of the product. For example, if the way that you are approaching customers and converting them is sales-led and you haven't yet discovered a repeatable selling motion through marketing, then prioritizing a scalability in the middle part of your funnel sometimes just doesn't make sense. It's like you have a fast car and just drop it. You just leave it run on a very small road. It just doesn't make sense. When you have a fast car, you drop it, you, you let it run on a big road that you can test its capabilities. So if companies, lots of companies just say, oh, we will be product-led because that will change things for us. That will make our customers love us more. That will bring a scale. Yeah, but you haven't found a way to market yourself in a scalable manner. You haven't found product market fit yet. You are still selling in an unscalable manner. Why did you prioritize product-led growth instead of fixing that or instead of building features that will give you product market fit? I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just not an effective use of your time and energy and expectations. And I don't blame only the founders. While I mean, I blame them, but I mostly blame investors because I have seen a lot of founders just promising PLG, 
to make the wallets open. And wallets mm. do open when PLG is on the table. We just have to understand that this is not the silver bullet. Lots of companies should not use it, should stay in a sales-led model because a sales-led model where you have human interaction is a huge source of qualitative feedback for you, mm -hmm. which can actually accelerate your transformation to a product-led company. If you rush it, you might screw it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So uh, you were saying that if the sales function or marketing function isn't delivering the customers that you need, or they're maybe the wrong customers for the product, you haven't found product market fit, you can implement product-led growth strategies or tactics, but it might not make a big difference to the business overall. Exactly. Gotcha. exactly. And so that makes me think that PLG is maybe more relevant for slightly more mature businesses or slightly more mature products, at least. PLG is an optimization. That's what people need to understand. It's something that will make a steady 1% become 2%, 3%, 4%. But it's not something that will make you magically succeed. It will make you more competitive. It will get you from one to two, but it will not get you from zero to one. Yeah, definitely. So do you have an idea for companies that are effective with PLG? Are they usually Series A? Are they usually Series B? Is it at once they've reached a certain number of customers? Or how would you work out with a company if they are a good fit for PLG? A company that is a good fit for PLG is a company that can predict what sales and marketing will do in the next four to six months because they have some predictable data. And that's the first thing that I check. And the second thing that I check, a company that is good for PLG is a company that knows how to make sense of qualitative data. Mm -hmm. And third, a company that is a good fit for PLG is a company that hasn't structured every little piece of it in a sales-led manner. For example, if you have a founder, an army of salespeople, and the head of marketing, you don't have and someone to do customer support, switching to PLG means that we have to either switch the whole team as well or train the whole team and change them. So it's a big transformation and companies that do that need to break it into phases, need to start from the basics and then worry about being product-led. And something else that I wanted to tell you about PLG. Two years ago, PLG was indeed something very impressive. It was a very cool buzzword for us product and marketing people, and it was a very high standard when it comes to UX. So everybody wanted to offer the best experience. So all the businesses that wouldn't offer this experience, they would see their numbers shrinking compared to their product-led competitors. Problem is that most of the businesses nowadays offer one way or the other something product-led. We marketers and product people, we have kind of corrupted this call to action. Users are not impressed anymore that you are offering a free trial or a freemium. In fact, they're like bored of testing your free trial or your freemium. In fact, what I mentioned the other day on LinkedIn is that I predict that 2023 will be the year of sales-led tactics. Oh, yeah. Because 
companies are overfunded. We have a lot of product-led strategies. We have a ton of people trying to do scalable marketing. Mm -hmm. Therefore, most of the scalable marketing tactics are kind of are not working. Paid ads are not working at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Content is like exploding. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of people just try to sell because there is no other way with like the the cpcs are on the sky mm-hmm. so i strongly believe that companies that will survive in 2023 are the ones that are stellar in plg and mm-hmm. the ones that do not go there at all but just double down on their sales led capabilities mm. i was wondering if that meant that plg was table stakes that everybody just had to do it but it sounds like actually what you're saying is you're either going to be the best at it and you succeed or you need to find a different strategy like sales led. Exactly. Or be the best in what you do. If you are mm-hmm. about to launch a half-baked PLG strategy, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Because a PLG strategy at first requires a huge investment to build it, a further investment to train your team into managing it. And then you might, if you mislaunch it, it might backfire to your number. And for a company that is on a seed level and has 12 months of of runaway in the bank, you cannot afford such huge mistakes. It's better mm-hmm. to keep doing what works and do small steps towards the transformation rather than putting all bets, betting everything on something that might backfire. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can dive in a little bit and talk a little more practically about how this actually works in companies. So the uh, first question there would be around what goes wrong. So when you work with companies, What are some of the basics that you see them getting wrong? Mm, mm. I have to give actual examples, but I won't, uh, of course, disclose the companies. A very big mistake that I saw recently in a company that wanted to do a product-led transformation was that uh, this transformation was not led by design. Uh, It was led by engineers. You cannot let engineers lead that process. This is a customer user facing process. This is a new experience that you are launching. So having a structurally a CTO that is a tech guy mm-hmm. that knows how something will work, how much time will it take, but doesn't really have a clue about experience, lead this process is one of the big mistakes that you can do. Another thing that is a kryptonite for PLG, is leadership misalignment. Mm. And uh, this is the most frequent thing that I see. We have a founder that has promised PLG, Mm. a salesperson that gets uh, their bonus based on sales performance, and they see PLG as a threat, a marketing person that wants PLG, but in the same time, that increases the difficulty and the stakes for them. We have then a CTO or an engineering team that is ready to build PLG, uh, but uh, they might be, they might have a product roadmap that also prioritizes other things in the same mm-hmm. time. And, and this misalignment and unproductive democracy are, mm-hmm. uh, in my point of view, the kryptonites of PLG. In fact, I physically hurt when I describe that because it's like the most frequent thing being on a meeting with a founder that is trying to sell PLG to a team that has contradictory KPIs Mm. with that. When you do PLG, you should 
make sure that everybody embraces it. If uh, mm-hmm. not everybody embraces it, you will not launch it. You will water it down. And at the end, you will launch something that you wouldn't want at the beginning. What else can it be? Uh, lack of research is a very important problem for PLG. So launching something very quickly or reading something and believing that that's what you need, like, oh, let's do a reverse mm-hmm. retrial because that's the new trend. PLG is different for every business because your learning curve is different, your user is different. So what you will plan to do, again, is different. And the final thing that just comes on the top of my mind is uh, doing a sudden switch to PLG, like launching a free trial or launching a, a freemium, not realizing that this thing that you launched also needs to find its own product market fit. A free trial is a mm-hmm. product, is a freemium model, is a product with less capabilities that in order to succeed and become the source of your paying mm-hmm. customers, it needs to find its own product market fit because it has its own characteristics. It's a separate mm-hmm. thing. So just believing that, oh, I will launch something that has the word free in front and everybody will go wild for me. It's a wrong perception. Ideally, you have to break it down into phases and test each phase in an agile manner. Yeah, that's super insightful. But making a free trial means you have to work out what are the features that you can put in free versus paid and how do you make it so that the free is valuable enough that people stay using it and then eventually convert convert to paid. So that in itself is a whole lot of work and you could have a, a team dedicated to doing that. So yeah, you've got to make sure that you have the resources to be able to build or iterate on the product market fit of that as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree with that. Another thing you mentioned there was leadership misalignment and people having different KPIs, for example, something I've definitely seen working in different startups. But I guess when you're thinking about PLG, you want to convert or you want to work with PLG as a growth lever for you in the business. What are some of the metrics that you would be having as KPIs or how would you measure the success of the business? Like, so you know you're heading in the right direction and the changes that each team is making are are progressing rather than slowing things down. Okay, that's a very good question. A transformation, that's difficult to explain, but what people need to understand about every transformation, not just PLG, is that a transformation cannot have at least at the beginning of it, performance metrics. What I mean by that is that when you switch yourself to product-led, if you set yourself for success only if a specific metric increases, that might be unfair for your transformation because at the beginning, your metrics, I mean, not just in the, at the beginning, but further as as well your metrics will not be comparable with your sales-led performance your metric your performance metrics are about to go down with a product-led transformation when you have a person selling to other people conversion rates are way higher mm-hmm. but it's not scalable lots of people think that when they switch to product-led they will keep their high conversion rates the one mm-hmm. that they had with a self-led approach, but they will just increase their top of the funnel. I mean, that's plain stupid to think. Your conversion rates will go dramatically down and it will align 
to what the benchmarks say, 1%, 2%, 3%. I have seen companies that convert with a 20% and then go down to four. And they're like, my PLG failed. No, it didn't fail. You're just not very smart to understand what is the right expectation here. So another thing, a transformation, a PLG transformation requires doing mock-ups, prototyping things, changing the roles of a few people. These things do not have measurable and necessarily measurable KPI or performance metric. These are qualitative changes within a business. So start with your task list of your product-led transformation. And when you are about to launch something, then it's the time to put some performance metrics. But keep in mind that these performance metrics should not have as their benchmark your previous performance metrics, but what the rest of the market is doing. And why I want to double down on that and why I'm putting so much emphasis into that. Because that has been a counterproductive process for me and my team Mm. in a past client. We always had to have a metric. What sort of metric can we have when we are doing qualitative research to come up with the features that need to be included in a freemium product? That doesn't have a metric. That is just a job that needs to be done. So you just do a job. Maybe you can have a timeline. But you cannot really have a metric here. The metrics will come after you have the qualitative understanding of what you need. You build a minimum version of it. You launch and you measure. So what I want to say to founders and teams out there, don't paralyze yourselves with unproductive setting and metric setting. Just break the project. It's a huge project. It's not a little optimization that you will do or a feature that you will build and you will see what happens and then you will expand. It's a larger thing. Yep, gotcha. Yeah, I like that that idea to not start with the same performance metrics that you had on a system that was up and running and being honed and was working well to not expect those to all of a sudden transfer when you start trying something completely new. I think that's a good point. Exactly, exactly. And that connects with the point that I made you for the scalable marketing. Mm. If you haven't figured a way to do scalable marketing and you launch a PLG motion and your conversion rate goes from 15% to 2%, that's a disaster for you. So unless you figure out the top of the funnel, you cannot become product-led. Plain, simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One other sort of more a tactical or like how do you actually do your daily job topic so plg covers a lot of different moving parts we've talked about like there's the product things of the onboarding there's working with sales and marketing to help them understand what to expect and how you're going to need to work together stakeholder management lots of different things going on so i imagine it's easy to get lost when you come into a client and there's just so much to do how do you structure the work that you do when you when you come into a client how do i want to structure or how it is yeah, that's a first. How I want to structure it. I'll be, I'll not be very correct with you in this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that such transformations don't work with democracy. Instead, they, in fact, they work better with dictatorship. You need to have a clear and specific leader in the project, which speaks with one person within the business that is very high in the leadership and solves your leadership problems. Mm-hmm. So with the clients that I work with, I'm always seeking for a leadership member 
that will deal with leadership drama. The leadership drama is not my job to deal with. It's mm. my job to, to sell them the idea of PLG, to explain to them what it is. But any leadership drama is not my job. Is someone from the leadership team to deal with. Then, these are very nice, very of a lot of different voices coming together in a meeting, blending all together so that we reach the skies all together. That's bullshit. You need to have one clear leader. Lots of voices are counterproductive when it comes to such a transformation. Each person of this cross-functional team, because we always talk about a cross-functional team, needs to do the job and say a few words. I know that doesn't sound very good, but if someone wants a quick and not dirty and functional and full transformation, this is the way to do it. Mm -hmm. The way to do it isn't with drama, isn't with a lot of voices, isn't with politics internally, with strong men in the table that have opinions and we cannot make a decision because people disagree and people have different voices and we just schedule another hour meeting in two weeks to recap after another research project that we will do and another competitive analysis that we will do. That's plain crap and just puts dynamite in every transformation and especially a PLG transformation. So if I could make a small list of rules is have a clear leader, clear the way of drama, make sure everybody knows what they need to do, that it's clear, and what is the space of freedom that they have. Make it like a little uh, kamikaze team that goes into war. There's no space for drama, no space for emotions, no space for your opinion, just do the job, report back like a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sounds like an effective way to make change for sure. It sounds like that that's not always the case, though. Sometimes you run into different circumstances in business, and I think that that's understandable. We're running out of time. One, I think it'll be good to chat about jobs to be done briefly before we wrap up. Yeah. I think, as I understand, that's one of the other things that you focus on or one of your other expertise. Can you give us a quick explanation of what is jobs to be done and why is it valuable for businesses? Sure, absolutely. In very simple ways, jobs is a is a consumer action theory is a, is a theory that explains consumer action is a theory that explains why and how people make a consumer decision mm -hmm. that's in very very simple terms then now when it comes to to that imagine it like like jesus we had jesus which was clayton christensen and then we have his students his students fight with each other and each of them has a different theory that mm. if you hear it, it's not massively different the one from the other. It, all of them are very useful. It's not very specific which theory, which execution of theory is correct, but it's, it's a very nice field to watch and read and study mm -hmm. and a massively useful tool when it comes to both marketing and product, I cannot stretch enough how useful job to be done is if you mm -hmm. really want to succeed in the B2B SaaS sector. You cannot live without it. Mm. 
And it sounds like you're particularly focused on B2B SaaS. Is that because that's where JTBD is most valuable or that's just more where you you like to work? That's where I, I work. No, Jobs to be done isn't valuable only in B2B SaaS. In fact, it's very valuable when it comes to consumer products, mm -hmm. B2C products as well. Uh, the infamous example of Burger King is the one that made Jobs to be done famous, and it has nothing to do with B2B SaaS. I just apply it to, to B2B SaaS and to subscription-related services because that's when, if you improve the product and you have a little improvement into retention, that might mean a million, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of money. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it has a lot of different applications to B2B SaaS as well. Not just as a theory to make customer research with, but also as a way to see the market, to see competition, mm -hmm. uh, to treat your product, to treat the way that you communicate with pretty much in an internal and external stakeholders in order to understand what you need to build and innovate. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I think we better wrap it up there. So thanks for joining us today, Bagalos, and for sharing your experience and insights. If people want to connect or they'd like to learn a little bit more about what you do, where can they find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. That's my favorite place there. I tend to post controversial and very bitchy stuff that sometimes teach you something. That's my style, generally speaking. If you find me on LinkedIn, you will realize that uh, I have my own way of expressing myself, <laughs> which I used a little bit in this podcast as well. I heard it. I heard so it. If you, so if you want to read my content and read my rants about PLG or any something useful that I might have here, you can find me on LinkedIn, Agilos with double G, Muzakitis. Cool. We will add a link in the show notes so people can just check the show notes and find that. But that's been great. Thank you very much for your time and I will speak soon. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.